nearby ladies' room, where I splashed my face with cold water, shook out my red hair, glared at the mirror, and hoped the lighting was bad. A mother of twins maintained serene calm, while one offspring vomited and the other wailed. While we were waiting to take off for Portland, a guy across the aisle asked the flight attendant for a Bailey's on the rocks. I hadn't indulged during the Boston to Denver leg in spite of the free flow of liquor, but Bailey's sounded like such a good idea I decided to join the party. Bailey's was my dad's home tipple of choice. At bars, it was a shot and a beer, like the other Irish cops. Even after my folks split, Mom kept a bottle for him. She drank schnapps. Peppermint. Disgusting. Many Baileys later, the jolt of the plane's wheels smacking the Portland landing strip made me grind my teeth. I didn't relax my jaw till the damn thing slowed. Out of control, that's how airplanes make me feel. Dee Willis always had style. Now she's got the cash to go with it. A guy in full livery waited at the gate with Carlisle printed neatly on a signboard. Broad-shouldered and burly, he resisted conversational gambits and stood at attention until the luggage carousel disgorged my bag. Hefting it, he gawked at its pathetic lightness, staring me down with narrowed eyes, as if he wanted to ask why I couldn't have carried my stuff on board and saved us the twenty-minute wait. I saw no reason to explain that I needed to check my luggage because it contained a Smith & Wesson forty fifty three, two magazines, and sufficient ammunition to turn an aircraft fuselage into Swiss cheese. I'm no U.S. Marshal, just a private investigator. I can't carry on planes. To carry it all, I'd have to check in with the Portland cops, explain my mission, and get a temporary license. I'd told Dee to hire somebody local. Seems like I've been giving Dee good advice all my life, and she never takes one word to heart. Stalker, she'd said in her increasingly urgent phone calls. At every concert, in every city, always seated in the same section, wearing colorful western gear, almost like he wanted her to notice him, wanted to stand out in the crowd. Always too damn close. Ron, Dee's longtime lead guitar and some of the other guys in the band, had braced the man one night. He hadn't seemed phased, hadn't backed off an inch, showed up at the next performance bold as brass, and now he, or somebody, was sending wilted flowers, sending nasty letters. She'd FedExed a sample of a semi-lyrical nature. Our lives are linked with chains of steel, Chains of steel, my lady blue, saw a chainsaw in a hardware store. Thought of you, babe, thought of you. Block print in a Neanderthal hand, cheap ballpoint ink, unsigned. Hardly Dee's favorite fan mail, and no proof that the stalker had sent it. Dee was set for three shows in Portland due to a venue screw-up, She'd been scheduled to play one date in a major arena. Her manager had discovered the booking error after the tickets went SRO. Not wanting to disappoint the legions who'd finally made her a star, she'd rented a smaller hall. Intimate, close to the audience, close to the stalker. She was scared. Bodyguard, I'd advised. You, she'd insisted.
We discussed terms, including Miss Gibson. Then the tickets came for the planes and all three shows. Great seats. I thought it didn't snow in Portland, I muttered as the chauffeur and I struggled through gusts of icy wind, layered with flakes as soft and wet as soap suds. First blizzard since 89, he grumbled, just for you. You drive in snow much? I asked. Nope, he said, brushing ineffectually at the windshield with a gloved hand. In the terminal, I'd noticed folks standing around, eyes glued to picture windows, staring with wide-eyed wonder at a paltry six inches Bostonians would have shrugged off with a laugh. I felt a jolt of pity for these two seasoned folk, rainy and dry, wished I had a shovel to offer the driver instead of a handgun. I blinked bleary eyes, figured that since the flight had landed after one-